Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. My family thinks I'm crazy. Podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, and it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. You know, just tell your whole podcast. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? Under a sleepy moonlit sky over small town middle America looms a ghastly mark, a rolling fog of paranormal perplexity seeping to the surface revealing how thin the boundary between us and beyond truly is. Liminal unassuming places haunted and vermiculated by the sights that provoke shrieks and the vibes they leave behind, whether above the clouds or through the trees, mystery lurks on Solved. Today's guest is Midnight Mike, sentinel of the supernormal, archivist of the strange, blasting the latest bizarre news, intriguing info, and everything in between into the brilliant and bantering broadcast titled Our Big Dumb Mouth. Midnight Mike is here with me, Mystic Mark, on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode with Midnight Mike. It appears to be in the eastern, northeastern part of Alabama, right around there, out in the middle of like some 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 marshland. So it's pretty pretty swampy. And when they go out there to this meadow, they have also bizarre in encounters. When the first uh, investigation team went out there, before they really knew what they were dealing with, you know, they encountered strange people. Like they said, like one of the first times they were there, they encountered a woman who came out of nowhere and wanted this, this that, that group, which is right around, I think, six to eight people, to follow her back to her house where a group of monkey bears lived. And they thought this is kind of, this is crazy. And I'm not going to follow this strange woman to a house to investigate monkey bears. But I've, all, I've often heard Bigfoot re- uh, referred to as like monkey bears or something like that. Fascinating term. But as they, they 
They spent nights out at the meadow over the course of a year, I think two years. They were encountering a lot more paranormal things, much like Skinwalker Ranch. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, and with me is someone making their first appearance here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, although I have joined him before on the Union of the Unwanted. He is one of four amazing co-hosts on the Union of the Unwanted, but you should know him as Midnight Mike from Our Big Dumb Mouth. He is the host and creator of that show. Also sort of like the ringleader, if you haven't listened to it before, it's an excellent way to stay informed while also having a laugh. Mike, welcome to the show, brother. It's a pleasure to have you here. I've been listening to OBDM for a while, and you're definitely on my short list of guests who uh, deserve to be on this show. I've always wanted to ask you uh, if your family thinks you're crazy, and here we are right at the beginning of the episode uh, does your family think you're crazy, Mike, or are they are they on board? I think if they knew me, they'd think I was crazy. <laughs> okay. Thank you for the kind words, Mark. It's nice to be here. Yeah, me, you and I have been communicating behind the scenes. You've helped us out with some Union of the Unwanted stuff, and we do have like a the Union of the Unwanted and 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 all your affiliates. We we have a our own dysfunctional family of podcasts and it, it seems to work and it's it, so it's great to be here finally but as for your question does my family think i'm crazy I, I don't think so they think i'm a weird duck there's no doubt about that i grew up in the 80s and 90s i was born in 1977 and during the 80s there was a lot of great material for the subjects i'm interested in specifically like conspiracies and uh, the paranormal so during that time there was Unsolved Mysteries, hosted by Robert Stack, and I would watch that with my older brother and my mom all the time. And so that kind of opened the door, not just for myself, for these types of subjects and 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 in and, this and pieces of you know interesting folklore, but also my family in general. My my older brother didn't you know take as much as an interest as I did, but my mom knew I was interested in, in this stuff. And so when we would go to the public library, I would always be taking up books on on, on ghosts or UFOs. So it it didn't really come to a shock to my mom or my dad that my love for this subject kind of carried throughout my entire life. And up until when I, I created the podcast in 2005, kept talking about it. Just kept talking about it in different ways. Now, they're probably like, you're, you're still talking about this stuff, Mike? Like, yeah, well, I'm still interested in it. I'm still interested in rock music and all of that the stuff that, that gets imprinted on you at a young age. And that those imprints are very strong. And so I, I will continue doing what I do until I get bored with it. Mm, I can relate. I can relate. Unsolved Mysteries was a little bit before my time, but I remember Ripley's Believe It or Not having a similar effect on yeah. me and and digging through that book for the specific five or six pages where they talked about 
cryptids and vampires and ghosts and UFOs and well, they had the, they had the Ripley's Believe It or Not television show at that time in the early to mid eighties too. So they they, they would in, invite on people that claim to have like psychic powers or just like crazy contortionists things that you wouldn't normally see in your everyday life. And that was definitely very thought provoking. And uh, I remember like in 1996 for maybe 95, 96 for Christmas, my mom got me the book, the day after Roswell written by Philip Corso. And I remember plowing through that book in 96, you know, in high school, you're, I'm, I wasn't like as deep into uh, this stuff. I wasn't checking out all the books. I was more interested in, and going to punk rock shows and trying to get a girlfriend. But I remember getting that book and plowing through that in 1996, and that kind of reignited my love. And at that point in time, the internet was uh, on my radar, and I would go online and, and take a look at the, some crazy message boards and, and, get on, and get online and try to get as much more information that you could get in the, in the library. So that kind of reignited my, my love with the subject. Right on. Now... Considering all that you've learned since, have you re-examined some of those subjects and maybe found a different perspective on it? Because real briefly, I'll say, you know, aliens and this whole topic, always it's always been a, a fascination of mine. But the more I've learned about conspiracies, parapolitics, and the supernatural, the more I've begun to distrust the military and these alien researchers. And I don't know if, if you share that feeling, but has your thoughts on that particular topic evolved since that age? Oh, sure. Absolutely. It's tough. Like everyone, like with any type of, of subject, whether it is rock and roll music or, or Bigfoot, there is a community of people and it can be very divisive. Everyone is very opinionated about what is a good rock band or what is or isn't Bigfoot or whether or not it even exists. It's very divisive. And same thing with the, the UFO community. There was so much information out there regarding UFOs, their origin, the nature of the phenomenon, that you can pick and choose and have your own kind of a belief system and be pretty comfortable in knowing what you believe about UFOs is to be absolutely true because you can pick up five books that support your thought process. I, I view UFOs and the current phenomenon like this. There is real terrorism in in the world. Then there is the terrorism, like within the United States, that seems to be guided or co-opted by the FBI in order to achieve political and, and financial goals when it comes to budgets and also to ensure that the American public views terrorism a, a certain way and that the, the government is doing their quote-unquote job. So there's certain guided elements to that. There's real terrorism, and then there's the guided element of it in order to create a marketing framework for what the FBI does. I think the same thing with the UFOs. There are real, unexplained aerial phenomenon that could or could not be people from a different star system. And then there are the one, there are events that are guided by government action, whether it is a black ops or or black project or something that is completely fabricated to guide the public's 
awareness of the subject. Mm. And I think the intelligence communities did a lot more of those operations back in the 50s and 60s, when I think that they would be a lot more involved with creating psychological operations around UFOs, specifically like some, some events out in in West Virginia. There was the, the Flatwoods Monster is a, is a big one that took place, I think, in the late 50s, early 60s. There was like a group of kids and one adult that saw craft that supposedly came down in the woods. They ran up to investigate. There was a lot of fog around there. What they discovered was this very tall metal-like creature. And they said it resembled like it had rivets in it. It was about 10 feet tall. It had like a mouth that was like breathing fire, very mechanical in nature, scared the hell out of the kids. And the, the adult, they ran back down the hill. And they stuck to their story for decades. Now, I think that entire thing could have been a psychological operation put out there by people like the CIA in order to gauge the public's reaction and how quickly news spread in a local community and how those stories evolve over time. And I think they they have done things like that since, maybe a little bit more advanced since that point in time. But when it comes to UFOs, it's tough to know what is manufactured and what is true, real paranormal events. Mm. It's tough to distinguish the two. Yeah, that's fascinating to think that they created the cryptid scenario with the Flatwood Monster to see how that legend would evolve over time and, and maybe, you know, reveal where they could have, you know, made their theory more efficient or whatever their goal was with creating a, a theory like that. I pulled the book from behind me really quick because when you mentioned the Flatwood Monster, it immediately brought to mind a, a weird creature that this author, Gesh Hari, who writes a book called The Handprint of Atlas, he sees this very strange cryptid in, I think, like his teenage years, and it affects him for the rest of his life. This is a recreation, obviously, but this is what he saw. And uh, It's not that far off from the Flatwoods monster. Right, and I I don't know if I, I've seen a Flatwood monster image, but the way you described it immediately brought this to mind because of the peg legs and the square, yeah. you know, it's kind of it, looks... It looks like it was made in the 50s. <laughs> exactly. And this guy, you know, goes on to be like a ley line researcher and whatnot, and it makes you wonder, like, are they creating these scenarios to have an effect on just one person? Like the same way they would affect a whole town, maybe they've experimented on individuals in this way. Have you ever I seen... I would say, I, w- I mean, there are so many different uh, stories out there of of fairly, I guess, well-to-do families. And then there was like perhaps like a teenage daughter or son within that family, and they get sent off to a camp or some sort of like private boarding school where then then they're experimented on and then brainwashed for certain purposes because maybe they have a certain type of mental gift. Maybe they'll maybe clairvoyant or they have some sort of telepathy or this hyperintuitive and these groups want to try to harness that power in an effort to get them to use alien technology. Now, there's a ton of these different stories. And to go back to what I said about the Flatworth monster and the, as that as being a possible psychological operation, it, it, it's just a, a theory. It, it could have been a true 
UFO event, and it could have been the CIA. It could have been some extra military organization that is not even associated with an intelligence organization running their own operation. Or they could have been, it could have been like a, a psychological operation that was used as cover because they were doing some sort of experiment 20 miles away, and they wanted all focus on that attention. There's so many different angles to this thing, and this is where when you dive into this kind of information, you got to be an adult and you have to pick and choose what you think is true and what you think is, is BS. I, I, I think I'm a much more of a believer in firsthand accounts now than I was 10 years ago. I would blow off a lot of people's like firsthand like, experiences because, you know, human memory can be very faulty, but I think I've seen enough correlation and I've read enough books to where there appears to be a lot of similar things, not not verbatim, they're not exact, but there appears to be enough similarity between all these experiences that people have to where I, I can say there's definitely something going on. And I think it's much more than just aliens from a star system over. Mm, agreed. Yeah, I, I, I've spent less time than you sorting through this stuff but i i think i've come to a similar conclusion i must say you have quite the perspective with your show you guys are like the you know news department of all things weird and i have to hand it out over to you because you're probably one of the the better people to talk to this subject given that you've you know spent a lot of time covering these strange news reports that you know, make their way onto these fringe outlets and whatnot, not easily aggregated. But when it comes to UFOs, do you think it's just optics that this UAP acronym has now been supplanted, at least in the news? Do you think it's 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 about controlling the narrative that they sort of won't own up to the UFO term because it's been, you know, heavily used by the alternative community? Or do you think it's truly a new thing that can't be classified as a UFO and it, it's it's simply better defined as a UAP. It's a it's a re it's a rebranding because they want to frame the investigation. They're not talking about the alien abduction phenomenon. Uh, they're not talking about events that happened pre 2003. They want to there's like a a finite area of like the last 15 years that at least according to the Pentagon and DOD that they're willing to talk about and investigate and share their findings with the congressional committee. So they have like a, a predefined area. They're ignoring a lot of the other stuff saying that they don't have like a lot of information, which is a lie. There's been a multiple uh, intelligence investigations concerning UFOs from the 50s, 60s, 70s, up to the 80s that they've had access to footage from NASA from their from their uh, from their own cameras that the, that they're choosing to ignore because they want to reframe it because I I think it has a lot to do with uh, with budgets and tightening the control of information and the further you go back and have to explain stuff well you're that much farther away and you don't know all the information back there but within the last decade. That's something that you probably could wrap your head around as a leader in the Pentagon or the DOD and say, okay, I can, I can, I can manage 10 years worth of information and bottleneck it and funnel that out 
tougher to do with 60 years worth of stuff. They might not even know everything that they had. I think there's probably four or five people at the Pentagon that know the entire scope of what they may be dealing with. And then beyond that, there are probably contractors that have a lot more information than anybody in the government, the elected government currently has. There are bureaucrats within the Pentagon that probably know the full story. And then there's probably defense contractors that know the full story. Mm, yeah. It's it's quite an interesting topic. I I find more often in the UFO community, you have these people that surface that just seem sketchy, you know, and, and yeah. you don't see that with topics like 9-11 or JFK so much as you do aliens, right? And maybe I'm just not as versed on those other two topics enough to spot a fraud, but it seems like there's these these really strange figures who you know, even make their way into the podcast circuit who make promises and sort of promote technology and, and say, you know, we're, but it seems like it's, it's the same promise they've been making for 50, 60 years. You know, they're, they're these people who are proponents of this high tech black budget stuff. And I'm wondering do you think that it's a lot of, you know, hoopla and fuss to try to drum up attention and money? Or do you think they're actually, you know, maybe leading people astray from real technology, real powerful technology? First of all, the subject matter is a lot of fun hmm. because it's open ended and it's like a role playing game. It's like D&D for me. And that's I grew up in the 80s. I played a lot of D&D. I still play role playing games when I can. Because it's a fun thought experiment and you, it takes you outside of your normal confines of what is possible. And so when you get into the UFO phenomenon, if you get deep into it, it can lead in any different directions to unlimited energy, to time travel, to alternate dimensions, to all these different fun topics. And I think that when you have that much of an open-ended story and it's incomplete, it allows people who would... Otherwise, just be much more well-versed in creative writing to create a persona and build their own world and create a lot of money off of that. There was a, there's a, a pair of characters, and one is Corey Good, and he's got a buddy named David. And Corey Good is claims to be part of the secret space program where he does the 20 and back, where he, he served for 20 years aboard uh, a, a starship, and he's part of the Galactic Federation. And then after 20 years, he gets age regressed back in some kind of weird piece of technology. And he, over the past, I would say 10 years, been been funneling out these stories uh, on like Gaia Network. And he always seems to have new information. And he claims that he keeps having new memories and all this kind of stuff. And I covered a lot of it. It's, it's fun, interesting pieces of information. I don't put a lot of credence into it. It's like, how can this guy keep having new memories? I'll, I'll put it out there that it's a possible scenario that he got, he of all people got chosen to be part of the secret space program. All this crazy technology was used on him. And then he's back to tell the story. Possible. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to put a lot of credence into it. But for me, in my show, it's, it's good fodder. We make fun of everything on the show. Like, I'm a believer in UFOs. I've had my own paranormal experiences, but I'll make fun of the stuff all the same. 
My co-host Joe, he does not believe in Bigfoot. He does not like entertaining a lot of these things. He's more political in nature, and but he will indulge in this goofiness. And my other co-host, Cretched, he indulges in a lot of the stuff, but he focuses on more of some stranger, stranger news on the show. But all this is this fodder for fun thought experiments in order to keep an open mind about this stuff. I, I, I come from an art background, and I, I choose not to wall off certain things. I'll indulge in this stuff like the secret space program, which I do believe there is a secret space program. I don't believe Corey Good was part of it. <laughs> I don't believe that he had personal encounters with eight-foot-tall blue birds. I think it's fascinating, but I don't believe that he's, he's had those experiences. And I think there are a lot of grifters like that within the UFO community. Anybody within the UFO community that, that claims to have secret knowledge and that they, they, have, like a, they have access to the secret knowledge and they, just, they can't tell you too much about it, I just don't trust them. Just spill the beans. Spill the beans at this point in time. And even recently, I think Randall Carlson was on Joe Rogan and uh, Randall Carlson saying, like, I'm working on some secret tech. He's saying he's uh, he's trying to reverse engineer some possible ancient Egyptian technology and that there are some groups that have some patents and they're, they'll be releasing something soon. But I've heard this for years. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I'm myself a little fixated on conclusions so i really appreciate the open-minded approach and the ability to you know sift through this information without letting it wall you off as you said because yeah there's so many possibilities we really can't discount any one thing because it might be a piece of a much larger puzzle that we can only understand once we have the rest of the puzzle which you know it seems like they've been trying to eliminate as many pieces as they can. But when it comes to movies, we're often shown hints of this kind of thing. And before, when you're sort of alluding to MKUltra and the ability to take someone through, you know, this sort of medical ringer that they have for people who step outside of the, the boundaries of what's qualified as sane. Have you ever seen the movie Society? I just watched it last night for the first time. It's a 1989 horror flick that that stars Billy Warlock. No, I haven't. Oh, well, I'll recommend that you watch it and maybe we could talk about it another time and, and everyone listening as well. Go check that out. But it takes you through the life of allegedly a real-life MKUltra victim, the screen play that the movie is based off of was written by a guy who appeared on Coast to Coast and was interviewed by Art Bell and talked about his experiences in this Illuminati family. They, you know, sent him to a mental hospital because he realized what his family was up to. He awoke out of the coma and has all these regressed memories. So even outside of the UFO genre, you have this same theme of like somebody you know losing time and regaining it this one is a little more verifiable we'll say because we do have records of this guy in the mental facility whether or not what he's saying is true or not the movie is is definitely <laughs> something to think about i mean i i don't want to reveal anything for you but it, it's 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 definitely a great movie for someone with our 
knowledge set of conspiracies, and I mean they're definitely hinting at at things that are going on. But where'd you where'd you watch it at? Well, I, I watched on watchseries.id, which is probably like a illegal streaming site. So hopefully, hopefully okay. not too many people go there and blow it up. And <laughs> I'll be calling the FBI on you later. <laughs> so yeah, if you need a link, I could send you a link to watch that. I don't know what streaming I service it's on. I'll, I'll rent it on Amazon probably. Okay, cool. <clears throat> yeah. So in that realm, do you have any? top three movies that you sort of wheel to people as gnosis as revealers of, of secrets. Cause we all have seen a movie that makes us think and, you know, some movies more than others, but there are a few movies that I've come across that seem like the director could be a guest or even a host of one of these podcasts. Like they, these directors, they seem to know a lot of the same things we know. I would say if I had to give somebody like a top three movie of what Mike thinks this reality could be, number one, you got to put up there John Carpenter's They Live. That is like, that's at the top. It's got so many of the things that I like about science fiction. It's slow and boring. I love that about science fiction. It's got crazy twist about our reality and it's got cool action and it's very interesting and has like a lot of, thought-provoking implications about the world. Got to put that at the top. They live. I would also put up there, when it comes to the nature of reality, communion with the Christopher Walken. Now it's a, based upon Whitley Strieber's experience in New York where he was abducted by aliens. And so you have, you have Christopher Walken going through the movie trying to figure out what is going on with him. And what does he truly experience? Like, he, he says this. Little blue fuckers about that big. And he's trying to figure out, is he going mad? Is he, is he truly experiencing something? And, but there's an interesting parallel there as he's trying, as he finally decides to kind of come clean with his family and extended family, he winds up talking to, I believe, his brother-in-law, who is Ukrainian. And he says, I'm being abducted by the, these, these little creatures in the middle of the night. And the guy from Ukraine is just like, yeah, we've known about these things in my culture for a long time. So it didn't come as a shock to him. And so that, that movie is, while it, the special effects aren't good and they're kind of cheesy, there are some pretty memorable scenes in there that I would recommend people check out. As for my, my, my third movie of what I would kind of, ask somebody to, to watch in regards to this reality. Oh boy. I don't know if I can narrow it down to a, like a, a third one. That's fine. I don't want, I don't want yeah. to put you on the spot. That question's always a tough one to ask someone w without, you know, proper preparation ahead of time. But I appreciate that communion. I have not seen that. And it's always fun to see Christopher Walken's in any situation. So reacting to aliens is probably a rare form for him when it comes to whitley's experiences i might be misremembering this but doesn't whitley have some strange experiences with the government as well didn't he go undergo some kind of experiments or something or am i conflating his story with i don't else's? i don't know his his full story and he's written a few books and done multitudes of, of interviews especially with george nori and art bell uh, but I just do not know his full story. But that cover 
uh, of the book Communion with that was, I believe, one of the first examples of a gray alien face really coming into prominence in pop culture and being used and really kind of solidifying the alien gray face in American pop culture and if not worldwide pop culture. Mm. There's an author named Craig Campobasso who's written a book called The Extraterrestrial Species Guide. Mm-hmm. And it's a very interesting book. You might have seen it. If you haven't, I recommend it because it's it's kind of comical to a certain degree. Some of the aliens that are uh, depicted in this book, there are a lot of the standard aliens we're familiar with. But then there's this whole sector of aliens that seem to have origin in a community of, well, women who claim that they are sort of like the, um, you know, they're in some sort of relationship with these beings, right? They're visited in the night. They have a sort of sexual relationship with this being. And then from there, they either have a sort of telepathic relationship with this alien or maybe even allegedly conceive a a child from this alien. Have you looked into any of these stories? Do you have any thoughts on on that? I have. So I have read the book. I have a good number of books related to humanoid encounters. I'm going to address the, the sexual encounter one. But before, for people like, it's tough to wrap your head around. Like if you said, uh, you know, there's an alien species visiting Earth and they look like X, Y, and Z and everyone's seeing the same thing. It's like, okay, that makes sense. We have cooperation of, 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 of what they look like, how tall they are, color of skin. But we don't necessarily have that. We have general common attributes. And then from what I've read, over 200 different variations ranging from feline entities to reptilian to more exactly human-looking entities to insectoids, such a wide variety of aliens that you would say, this is absolutely bizarre and stupid that there would be over 200 different kinds of species all doing similar things and having very vaguely similar messages for humans. And then it gets into the sexual encounters with aliens. So here's what I've discovered with the this with aliens and in in abductions in general. And so I don't know if anyone like I made these correlations on my own. So I don't know if anybody else has made it. So here's the thing: if you happen to see a UFO and you see four or more alien creatures get out of the UFO, they are probably most interested in collecting things from the environment that they're more concerned with the ecology or some sort of mission that does not involve you or the immediate humans around you. They're they're They have a different mission. And if you happen to get in their way, they, they might collect you, but you're not their main focus. If you happen to see three aliens and you're fairly in, in close proximity to them, take note that you most likely are the subject of their visit. They tend to, if you see aliens that they come in threes, sometimes fours, that means that they're there to collect a human. And it's an abduction scenario. If you happen to have a one-on-one encounter with an alien that is meant to signify a sign of respect, 
and that they are there pretty much to deliver a message for you. And so they're taking the risk to meet with you one-on-one. Now for the, the sexual encounters, they'll come and snatch you and usually in groups of three or four, but mostly threes, and then they will abduct you. If you're a male and that they, they want you to procreate with another humanoid, whether it is a hybrid alien, one of their aliens, like from of their race or another human, and you're not in the mood, they will cover you in this jelly all over your body. And that will cause the male to get erect and be able to perform sexually. It also will enhance your mood. So if you are no longer in the mood, like you're frightened and terrified because you were abducted, well, they put this jelly on you. And then next thing you know, you're very conducive and you're, you're, you're ready to, to have sex. And then at which point in time, they'll put you in a room with the, the other person you're supposed to have sex with and you will do it. Then there is typically some sort of emotional bond that happens. They will drop you off after that. That may happen a few more times, but uh, it seems to be in that sequence of events right there. Mm. Uh, and now, as for women, I don't believe human women that are abducted, That I don't necessarily think that they're covered in that jelly. I haven't read that. It's mostly reserved for human males to get them in the mood. That's really strange. Again, spoiler alert for anybody who wants to watch Society. Mike, you might appreciate this. It takes a sort of sci-fi turn at the end when you realize that this cult of rich people may actually be aliens. And one of the things that they do to one of their victims is cover him in this orangey red film. Really? As they all become one orgiastic sort of combination. Seriously? Yeah, yeah. So huh. very weird synchronicity just there. Mike's never seen that movie. I just watched it last night. And yeah, I brought that up because it, it is a little, it's a point of skepticism for me. When I see the the depictions in that book, they seem like very idealistic, like what a woman ideally would want. And I wonder if you think maybe that's because these aliens are sort of telepathic enough to appear the way because you look at some of these like you know depictions of alien they're hunks they're like supermodel looking guys i mean it kind of seems to me like the women are being telepathically you know made to see what they want to see instead of actually you know a a skinny gray alien and and maybe that's why they don't need the the love gel (laughs) it's possible or they they just, they truly are hunks. Like by all accounts, the Pleiadians, the ones that are the most human looking, the Nordic ones have like, you know, bl- platinum blonde hair, uh, super tall, super ripped, look like Fabio pretty much. Blue eyes. Uh, and so they are probably more attractive to, to us than uh, the reptilians. But all these, all these things, it goes back to, they do is they, these, these humanoids and aliens, they do appear to be obsessed with our reproduction and our DNA. And then these, go, these stories go back for a long time. Back in like the 13 to 1500s, it would be the fairies that were abducting children. That evolved into something else. Like, or it was called a succubus that was taking you in the middle of the night and and having their way with you sexually, and you had this demon on your back. That evolved over time into what it is now. It could be the exact same entity or force behind it. 
It's just that our perception has changed. Our brains have evolved and we have different assets in our heads. Like we can now imagine computers. We can imagine aliens a little bit more easily. So they're using our own imaginations to paint themselves a certain way. And that's all they are, are doing. It's the same entities, the same goals and the same missions. It says that they're just choosing to paint themselves a different way. Mm. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to think that that could be the through line. And, and, you know, when checked with things like the simulation theory, you have to wonder maybe these beings are written into the reality somehow, right? And, it, you know, because a lot of these, I think, sci-fi movies give us the impression that, well, they're visitors from beyond. They come from a place we could never understand when it seems based on what you just said that they're more built into the fabric of what it means to be human than we may realize and and they've been with us for much longer than than we know yeah i think that there's plenty of examples that hint to that even the movie communion you said the, you know the ukrainian guy in the film says oh we've known about these beings for a very long time yeah and if if this is a simulation and we are trapped in here with them. Well, they, they have a lot more administrative rights than what we do as just a player. Now, one of the speculations as to why they're so interested in our DNA and our, our, our evolution and our reproductive cycle and our, our sexuality is because they want to hijack our soul and that the, the mankind, us humans, are very special in that we have a soul. And that soul allows us to, to leave the simulation, to get up to these higher planes of existence. And that some of these aliens, they don't have that. And they're jealous of that. So they want to use our DNA and our soul. They want to hijack our soul cycle system to get out. And the only way that they can hijack it is to merge with us in a certain way, merge with our DNA, at which point in time it can house a soul. And then they're able to move on to the next levels of this reality. And for us here, we're, we're trapped, trapped like in a cycle. And whether it's the reincarnation cycle or just the white tunnel light and you're, you're forced to come back and relive and we haven't gotten smart enough to, to get out of that on our own. Well, these aliens, they, they know that they're trapped here and they see us as an opportunity to get out. Right. Right. And this, you know, again, has parallels in ancient mythology, this concept of, you know, lower world entities that's talked about throughout many different cultures in the Eastern tradition here in North and South America cultures talk about these types of beings. And it's interesting where that intersects with the military specifically at Skinwalker Ranch, which I know you're quite familiar with that have these very old legends of this shape shifting being that now have kind of merged with the alien research world, or at least the sort of fringe alien research world. And seems like a lot of the big moneyed interests are, are, are taking time to focus on this, you know. Have you looked into Skinwalker Ranch and 
too much time. The sketchiness, <laughs> because we've interviewed Ryan Burns here on the yeah. show, and he's uh, he's someone who you know allegedly has property there, according yeah. to him. And you know, I don't know. I, I like Ryan. It definitely feels like when I'm talking to him, he's one of those guys who has things he can say and can't say, <laughs> and uh, he knows. I know that. I've said that to him. He admitted it. But it's it's just you know, it's weird. Like, is it purely that they want to harness that ability for weapons and that's why they're keeping it a secret? Or do you think that there's something deeper going on? I like Ryan, too. Uh, I've talked to him a few times. He seems like a good guy. He obviously lives close to that piece of property and he's got his own perspective. I've only read about it, but I have lived in the Southwest. I will say this about like Nevada, Utah, New Mexico, Arizona, and even Colorado. It is a very special place in, in on the planet, and there's a, there is a special energy there. And I say specifically when it comes to Skinwalker Ranch, it does appear as though it that also has a very special particular type of energy that allows for certain types of phenomena whether it's poltergeists or UFOs, that it does appear the veil is much thinner there. Kind of like you were referencing ley lines. When two ley lines intersect, that's a nexus point. And in the role-playing games I used to play, like called Palladium Rifts, is that when a nexus point happens, that allows for a lot of potential psychic energy. And it allows for a lot more weird things to come through a portal. I believe that Skinwalker Ranch could be one of those areas and probably is one of those areas where the veil is just a little thinner. Now that place has been investigated for decades. They've had decades and decades of weird encounters ranging from poltergeists to UFOs to portals being seen in the sky to Bigfoot Dogman and just creatures that should not be from this specific era. Like seeing dire wolves that only existed 20,000 years ago roaming around that property. So there's, there's something very specific going on there. And it appears that the military has already done their investigation. And for whatever reason, they allow the sale of the property to go into new hands. I would say that they had done that for a few reasons. One, I think it is, it's a managed psychological operation at this point where that the military knows that there are bizarre phenomenon going on there. They would like to weaponize it if they could. And if they can't, then let's manage the perception of what it is and also use it as cover for whatever kind of experiments that we just so happen to be doing around the ranch, whether it's hundreds of miles or not. So I think that it's an opportunity to promote a myth and also use as as cover. I think they're investigating some real stuff there currently. It's just that when... They're trying to use signs to describe technology and they keep butting up against the paranormal, like ghosts and apparitions and things like that, which they can't really wrap their heads around. And so they have to just totally abandon all preconceived notions and just think about it as one phenomenon. And that there is no difference between those and, and ghosts and the sightings of Bigfoot. They all have one possible origin, which is like a, think of it as like Walmart. You can find a whole bunch of different things in Walmart. You can get all your 
your lawn care needs. You can get all the food you need. You can find t-shirts, all that stuff. It's like Skinwalker Ranch is like the Walmart of paranormal. And it just so happens that the guys investigating down there, they're only willing to look at the hardware section. And there's this whole other place that they got to explore. And they don't even really know that they're in that place just yet. They started to get on the right path when they started to bring in religious scholars and, and, and people that were more in tune with the spiritual side of stuff. I, I think that they were on the right track, but they need to push that further. There are stories within George Knapp's first book, uh, The Hunt for Skinwalker, in which someone, this is back before uh, the ranch was transferred over to uh, Bigelow, but someone asked to come on the ranch when the Gormans, that's the pseudonym, own the ranch. And so someone asked to come on and to meditate. And uh, the owner of the ranch said, yeah, come on in. You can meditate. Go, go over there. And you now I'll just stand watch over here and you do your thing. So the guy sat down to meditate. And after a few minutes, they heard this growl come from the woods. Well, the guy continued to meditate. And then all of a sudden, they heard this loud, big thing start trouncing through the woods, breaking branches, coming right for the guy who was meditating. And what the, the ranch hand said he saw, he said he saw pretty much like an invisible predator-like creature from the, the movie Predator from, with Arnold Schwarzenegger come marching out of the woods, standing eight to nine feet tall, lean down and just give this horrific growl at the guy who was meditating and then march off. And so the guy who was meditating got up scared out of his mind and ran off the ranch. And what that shows me is like these things, the paranormal in general can be provoked or can be interacted with using our own consciousness, our own oneness. And we're so focused on the technology that if you do simple things like a spiritual chant or meditation, you might provoke a, a big reaction that could be measured by science than just trying to shoot rockets up into the air, trying to provoke UFOs that way. Mm. Yeah, it just shows you how weird this, you know, you, you mentioned how special and unique that particular area is, but it shows you how weird this continent is you know i mean it seems like all the the dragons that were tamed in medieval europe and and killed by the various knights you know they 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 stayed here you know that there was no knights here to to kill them so there's another place that seems to have a, a similar infamy to skinwalker ranch that's come up relatively recently the meadow is yeah. how it's been sort of named I live in a place, and so do you, you know, being, you know, in the sort of eastern portion of this continent, you know. The, where, are you, where are you located? I'm in Connecticut. So okay. I'm more familiar with that sort of landscape than like, you know, a canyon, right? I've never really been that far west. But uh, so at least for me, it's easier to imagine like the mystic meadow because I've been in plenty of forests where you sort of come upon a a little meadow, you know, clearing uh, seemingly out of nowhere. And they have this just strange effect, you know, on your psyche. You know, I think it has something to do with humans and just 
having a, a connection in nature, but what have you learned about the, the Meadows Project? Because it is kind of under wraps. They haven't revealed as much as they may have about Skinwalker Ranch in this case. Yeah, they they put out one book. They keep the location pretty secret, although I managed to, based upon UFO sightings, I was able to go through my books and kind of cross-reference some stuff. And it appears to be in the eastern, northeastern part of Alabama, right around there, out in the middle of like some 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 marshland. So it's pretty pretty swampy. And when they go out there to this meadow, they have also bizarre in encounters. When the first uh, investigation team went out there, before they really knew what they were dealing with, you know, they encountered strange people. Like they said, like one of the first times they were there, they encountered a woman who came out of nowhere and wanted this this. That, that group, which is right around, I think, six to eight people, to follow her back to her house where a group of monkey bears lived. And they thought this is kind of, this is crazy. You know, I'm not going to follow this strange woman to a house to investigate monkey bears. But I've, all, I've often heard Bigfoot reco- uh, referred to as like monkey bears, something like that. Fascinating term. But as they, they, they spent nights out at the meadow, over the course of a year, I think two years, they were encountering a lot more paranormal things, much like Skinwalker Ranch. Although they, at the time, they were bringing out like night vision and they had the CBs to keep in communication. And they did witness one of their friends who was off in the distance, like walking back. They had that timed out. It would have taken him maybe about a half hour to, to make that kind of journey back to camp. Uh, well, they tracked him and he was able to do it like in 10 minutes over that train, which they said is not impossible, but extremely improbable. But as he was approaching, they had on their FLIR footage that he appeared as an orb, a ball. But he himself was was conscious and he didn't like when he was walking, he's like, I didn't turn into an orb. I was just walking fast and going the going through all the, the brush very quickly, but he managed to cover the same kind of ground that would take a normal person 30 minutes. He did it in 10 minutes, and he appeared to everyone else as an orb before coming back into the form of a man. So did he go through some sort of portal there that allowed him to cover quicker terrain? Just a bizarre set of images that they had to try to reconcile. Now, as they went deeper and deeper into the so-called meadow, as they peered through their like night vision and, and thermal, they would often see these weird cubes, these large cube structures that were in a particular area. And they would go out there with like their spirit boxes and try to communicate with who with whoever was there. And then yeah, like a lot of like useful information. Excuse me. Although they got they, they kept getting that they got the feeling that someone was trapped. And that this, this area here was a chosen area for a portal. And that different things use this area as an entryway to this realm. And it, ranging from Bigfoot encounters to UFOs, all the same kind of stuff you saw at Skinwalker Ranch happening there at the meadow in Alabama. Yeah, it's fascinating. I was very curious to know where that was because recently, or where that is, recently we've been 
doing a new podcast that I started with a couple friends called Esoteric America, where we invite people on to talk about their local area, wherever they're from, and tell us about all the strange, weird stuff that may have happened there or exists there. So we've we've gotten quite a catalog so far, but we talked about this one place in northern Georgia where they have these Etowa mounds on the Etowa River. And then not too far from there, I think in eastern Tennessee, is a place called Ruby Falls, which is a sort of waterfall inside of a cavern, something to that effect. But it's, you know, one of these sacred places. And I think there was a, a goblin sighting. There's the Hopkinsville goblins that are very famous. But th- there was another goblin sighting in this same cavern area. You know, a lot of times where they have these like small rural mining communities, you have these kind of stories of strange creatures coming in and out of the mines. And yeah, it's just, it's interesting to hear you, you did a little bit of, you know, research or sort of sleuthing to try to trace where that area is. Swamps often have their own special energy. Native Americans used to, at least where I live, they would build their settlements in swamps because of the protection it offered from predators. And yeah, they they have a lot of talk about, uh, you know, strange lights in the swamps, but it's just hard to move around in swamps. It's, it's, it's hard to live in a swamp and the Louisiana has its own, its own dids and stuff like that. The Rougarou, which is Mm. a French version of a dog man. And a lot of sightings down down in New Orleans with that. But I, I do have two clips I can play for you from the Meadow audiobook. And I'd like to play this one. This is about the the guy, Bob, who transformed into an orb when he was in the meadow. So this is only about like a minute and a half, but fascinating, if you don't mind. Thank you. No, I, I'm very grateful that you have clips. This is yeah. awesome. Go ahead. Daryl started watching for Bob on his FLIR unit and detected him right away. Bob's man-shaped heat signature was obvious in the machine's eyepiece as he approached Daryl's position at the far end of the clearing. Then something extremely strange happened. As Daryl was observing Bob through the FLIR scope, he saw the human shape of Bob's body turn into a sphere of heat or energy detected and registered on the scope. To his astonishment, this sphere of energy that he assumed was still Bob appeared to move towards him, traveling about 300 feet in 8 seconds. This means Bob would have had to run that distance over rough ground in the dark at a speed greater than 25 miles an hour. This understandably rattled Daryl. When Bob finally reached his location, Daryl asked him how he felt. Bob replied he was fine. Why did he ask? Daryl explained what he had just witnessed. Bob stated that, from his vantage, nothing seemed odd or strange. Time flowed as it should, and nothing appeared to him out of the ordinary. Not long after this, Bob and Daryl heard a low chattering or deep mumbling from the ridgetop to the south. This extraordinary vocalization was also heard by Tim, Kristen, and me. Just a a crazy little story there of a, a person turning into an orb and traveling across the land and they have the the flare footage there so and crazy and their their account of it they it they recall what running like they they had the the sensation of running or moving fast or or did they 
He he just said he was n- nothing to him was different. So his oh. his traveling or his walking to him that perception didn't change from him normally walking. So he didn't even know he was an orb, right. which is even kind of like the, the most me- messed up thing. Like, do people even know that there are ghosts? Like, do <laughs> dead people even know that there are ghosts? Well, and I you think- probably have to say maybe not. I think everybody's had that experience of maybe like walking and and ending up somewhere sooner than you expected, maybe yeah. like a lapse of time or or you you're unfamiliar with your your surroundings all of a sudden in a place that you you should be familiar with. Who knows? I mean, one person that I've had on the show twice now and I've been on his podcast is Ryan Bledsoe and he's invited me down to his place in North Carolina with a proposition that if I go there, I will see orbs, you know, it's a guarantee. And I haven't taken them up on that yet because um, I haven't been able to drive down there. But, but yeah, it, it's, it's exciting to think that it, it's, it's, it's that easy. And I wonder, what do you think? Do you think it's that simple that someone could just be in the right place and, and experience these orbs or even become an orb themselves? I mean, I don't think the Bledsoe's uh, have any accounts of that. Maybe they're just not talking about it. But, but yeah, they talk about all these orbs on their property. Yeah, I think so. And a- according to, like, some remote viewers, and I, I, I do follow a, a good number of, like, remote, remote viewers, and I'm endlessly fascinated with people who can do that. But according to some remote viewers, orbs, as you see them, are just messaging conduits. Think of them as like a Wi-Fi router, as a as a way to transport information from point A to point B. It's basically a messaging amplifier. They can travel, they can be deployed, but they're there to either collect or move information on. You could probably even think about think of them as like an information drone, semi-intelligent, but not what you would consider to be like a, a typical nuts and bolts ufo mm, right yeah i've even heard it likened to like a consciousness sort of summarized to a single point like mm. or or reduced to a single point temporarily a point of light yeah yeah very interesting uh, I, I do have another clip for you about the uh, the the, the time cubes that they saw in the meadow yeah let's play that all right let's do this David decided to photograph the west end of the meadow in direct alignment with the tracks. David was using his full-spectrum camera, which detects and photographs ultraviolet, infrared, and visible light. In the viewfinder of the camera, David saw what appeared to be a cube nine feet on each side. The box was not visible to the naked eye. Each time they brought the camera to eye level, the cube appeared. They moved a few yards to each side to see if it would affect the visibility of the phenomena. It was still there regardless of their position. David decided to photograph the box for further study, only to realize that he had forgotten to insert the SD card into the camera before departing camp. They decided to move closer. When they were within 100 yards of the cube, it disappeared. During this experience, David and Terry also reported hearing faint voices coming from deep in the forest. Boxes or cubes are not unheard of in areas of high strangeness. Mm-hmm. As mentioned before, the legendary Skinwalker Ranch in Utah has numerous reports of flying boxes with blinking lights. Famous UFO researcher Dr. Jacques Vallée went to Brazil in the 1980s to investigate reports of strange flying boxes. 
that made odd humming sounds while moving through the air. In his book, Confrontations, A Scientist's Search for Alien Contact, he recounts the events in Panorama, Brazil, where these box-shaped UFOs, known as chupas by the locals, would emit a beam or ray that had been known to kill or injure people on the ground. So I, I went looking after I heard the box thing. It reminded me of UFO encounters that I have, have read about. And I've, I've categorized a few of them. The, the most interesting are that in Northern Europe in the 1970s, two hikers were out doing their thing. They're out of a ski lodge. They're out doing some little cross-country skiing, I guess. And they, they saw a UFO come down and there was, it was surrounded by mist. They approached. And as they approached the UFO, this humanoid got out, kind of looked like an elf. And it was holding a black box. And, and when it held the black box and kind of pointed it at the two men, it uh, froze the men. And, uh, a mist erupted around them, and they felt like they were crackling with energy. This almost paralyzed them completely. They were stunned. And at which point in time, they got enough of their faculties back to where they just crawled away and got back to the cabin as quickly as possible after this alien pointed this strange black box at them. They got back to the cabin and they wound up coming down with radiation poisoning and were both very sick for, for many weeks after. And I've, been, I've, I've had a, a few of those kind of stories come across my reading where a weird black box does appear in a UFO event and it's never good. Wow. Yeah, the, the only things that I've heard about cubes or boxes is in the realm of like connections to Saturn and the Saturn time cube that Nick Hinton writes about. And then, you know, people talk about that being connected to the Kaaba that is sort of worshipped in Mecca, right? And people go and, and walk around it religiously. They make a pilgrimage to this giant cube, essentially, and uh, yeah, it's it's interesting because I think the, the lore with that is that that is an asteroid that fell from space and represents, you know, God or Allah. So to think that this is a theme throughout, I mean, where where did that UFO encounter that you just described take place? I, I missed that part. Let me, let me take a look at my notes here. So I, I have my notes. I, I, I collect all these these weird stories and that's where I kind of try to figure out what the heck is going on because mm. I'll, I'll read these many, many books and let's see here. I'll type in here. I'll look at box. I, I make, try to make everything searchable for myself. So humanoid black box. This was 1970 in Finland. Okay. Right around 4.45 PM. Wow. The creature, here's the description of the creature. Three foot tall. Slanted, narrow shoulders, pale complexion, waxy with a hooked nose, small ears, wearing green overalls and green boots, a pointed helmet, white gloves with claw-like fingers. And that's a, another thing that is a very common theme with humanoid encounters is that they tend to be wearing coveralls back in the 50s and 60s. They were described as like diving suits. That's what a common terminology is used, but they typically seem to have the, the same kind of uniform, almost dressed like, like they're on some kind of mission, typically green or reddish and uh, gloves with a, with a big belt. Sometimes they have a giant helmet on, sometimes they don't. 
Mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting to think that they might have a different atmosphere that they resonate with, so to speak, and that's why they need some sort of technology in between. I don't know if you've heard the gentleman named Ryan Musgrave Evans who talks about the crypto terrestrials, these sort of well, almost like Krang, like the the that creature inside of the bigger, like what is the bigger thing? Yeah, uh, TMNT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, he talks about these like little sort of gray-like aliens that are in these mech suits, essentially. And his theory is that all the Bigfoot sightings are these creatures because they can sort of shapeshift with their mech suit and and. Yeah, they have this sort of technological layer between them and this environment because where they're from, there's different atmospheric qualities and things like that. And they, they're genetically, you know, maladapted to this reality somehow. And that, that's part of why they're here. Have you heard about this crypto terrestrial theory? It- I have. It sounds like the uh, the suits from Independence Day with Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith, where when they were at the Area 51 and they dragged that alien beast in there, they cracked it open and they found a smaller mm. alien inside. Right. So it had some sort of exoskeleton biological suit that made them stronger and, and more combat ready. Now, as for like what that means for us here in 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 this reality, there are a lot of UFO Bigfoot sightings that happen in close proximity to each other in distance and time. This is documented in the book Silent Invasion by Stan Gordon. And he wrote about Eastern Ohio, Pennsylvania, and the northern part where of, of, of West Virginia, where there's this huge flap of UFOs in the 60s and 70s. And oftentimes when people see a UFO, a few days later, they would see a Bigfoot. And without fail, it just, when you get one, at least within that decade, in that time when he was looking at it, when you get one, you get the other. And it's just endlessly fascinating to think either Bigfoot is being used as some sort of like foot soldier, reconnaissance soldier for the aliens as kind of like a a, a dumb infantry grunt, I suppose. I don't want to say dumb, but kind of like a big oaf walking around the woods. Or they are, in fact, aliens themselves and that they can come and go as they want because they have access to incredible technology. Right, and that that is the the strangest strain of of Sasquatch stories or research is where it overlaps with this Mm -hmm. UFO alien realm. I've had a a past guest on the show who describes his astral projection experiences. And what he told me was that, you know, during an astral projection of his, he was invited, and this was over a course of different experiences with the same Sasquatch entity. But eventually this Sasquatch entity that he had this sort of connection with in the astral realm brought him to a meadow, a field, uh, where there were other Sasquatch, and they all sort of linked arms and kind of got into a, a f- flying craft and showed him all kinds of stuff. This was a, almost 100 or 150 episodes ago, so forgive me for m- not remembering all the details, but it is strange like where these overlap. The most, well, let me let you comment on that, but then I want to ask you about David Polite's research on Bigfoot, because I think that was probably the most insightful I've, I've seen, and you have it listed on your website. Yeah, it's tough to know. So I mean, it's like 
a lot of a lot of researchers, I would say, they really want to divide up. And I remember when we did our big Bigfoot episode on Union of the Unwanted, and Sam wants to go in every different direction. And that's what I love about him. He's not willing to wall off or not consider certain things when it comes to any sort of subject. But we had a guest on who's a professor, I believe, from Utah. And he is of the mindset that Bigfoot does exist. And it definitely is a North American ape. And nothing paranormal is related to Bigfoot. And he did not even want to indulge or get involved in that conversation. But Sam wanted to, kept kept pushing to that direction. And I wanted to, too, because... As I said, when you have UFO encounters, there's going to be Bigfoot. This guy, he just he, he didn't want to indulge. He didn't. He he wanted. He was so rigid in his research that I feel like he was ignoring evidence. And I think you get that with with every subject, and it's really unfortunate. Not just for the sake of like fun, but also for education. If he's not willing to consider that Bigfoot could be paranormal, and have a lot of extra powers that us humans don't have, whether it's like telepathy or ultrasonic weapons to to stun their prey, then what are we doing here? We're already investigating and talking about this stuff. Let's just go all the way. Right. So one thing I, I do try to collect is like encounters with Bigfoot or, or aliens where there is a physical altercation where there is a shot that is fired at Bigfoot or whether someone is trying to rough up an alien physically. Because you don't often hear that. I, I have collected like a number of those. doesn't happen that often. But occasionally you do get one. I do have a, a clip here from this movie called Invasion of Chestnut Ridge by the, the company Small Town Monsters. It's a bit of a longer clip. I'd like to play just a few minutes for you. This is back in the 70s where a UFO landed down just about 100 yards away from a house. And it was emitting this deep red light. And this got the attention of the people living there. And so the guy grabbed his gun and what he saw were Bigfoot creatures. And I'll play a little bit of this clip right here. There were several young men at a farm in Fayette County, not far from here, that in October of 1973 saw a very large light in the sky come down in a farmer's field. What we found out was that about 9 o'clock that night, about 15 people in that rural community observed this object in the sky. It was only about 100 feet off the ground. It was as big as a barn. It was bright red and like a big ball. It was only about 100 feet up, and it was slowly moving down towards the ground. We did a pickup truck. We was coming out to my father's farm. And we turned off the main road up a dirt lane going to his farm. As we went up the lane, I looked to the left and I seen this big orange claw in the sky. And it wasn't no more than maybe 100 feet off the green. My wife looked to know I'll pause there because the, the audio is very hard to hear. But that's a first. That's a that's a first ha- hand interview with a person who saw it and took the shots. So what he did, he grabbed his rifle. He saw two large Bigfoot type creatures walking on the other side of his fence, walking towards the the light in the woods. And so he cracked off a shot. It got their attention. He's like, I must have missed. They didn't. They didn't wince. They didn't move. And so he cracked another one, which he swore 
must have hit him because he he had good aim. And he's like, I got him dead to rights. I had to hit him. And it did absolutely nothing. They looked mildly annoyed, looked back at him, and then they just walked directly into the woods towards the light from where the UFO landed down. And the red light, the UFO took off into the sky, insinuating that these Bigfoot creatures injured the vehicle and got the hell out of there. Wow. Yeah, it, it definitely, especially when you put into perspective some of the things that David Polite claims about Bigfoot, it definitely feels like they're an advanced culture, you know, and you reconcile that with what Native Americans have said about these beings. You know, it, it seems like they're some sort of advanced more than maybe what the the you know, doctors of anthropology want to say, right? Because they have a certain investment to academia where, oh, it has to be a biological creature. It can't be anything paranormal because there's, a, you know, a sense of legitimacy there to the mainstream that maybe they're, you know, seeking. Whereas, you know, like you said, you, you're, you have to be leaving stuff out if you want to take that approach to try to make it academically viable because so many of these things are, you know, discounted by the mainstream. So if I can, I just want to read a little bit of what you have here. Bigfoot have human DNA. They have their own language and tribes. Their hair is unique, tough, and come in many different colors. Some Native Americans trade with the Bigfoot, and Bigfoot are able to use supernatural powers or have access to something supernatural, as we've suggested just now. So, yeah, I, I know this is David Polite's claims, not your own, but what do you think of this? I, I, I would say that they're, the best analogy I, I can make to Bigfoot is to use ourselves. When it comes to us humans, there is a wide variety of humans. There are people on the other side of the planet, planet that are living in absolute horrific conditions. And they are basically just trying to survive, trying to just get water and food. And that is their main focus. And you have people like us who are much more well off and we're able to have conversations about these bigger, bigger ideas about the nature of reality. And then you have people that are way beyond us, people like Elon Musk or Bill Gates that have infinite amount of resources and money that are still human, but they have vastly different concerns and set of skills. And then you have people, humans, that have access probably to some pretty incredible technology that have links to the, the defense departments or defense contractors that may have some really interesting technology. We're all still human. We have vastly different skill sets and goals in life. And I would suspect that maybe Bigfoot is very similar. You have Bigfoot that are more hunter-gatherers. They just want to be left alone. And then you have ones that may be engaging with the UFO phenomenon in a more actively and a more active way. They have different jobs, different outlooks, different goals. So why not? If we're as varied of a species as we are, why can't they be? Yeah. And I mean, we, you know, we have examples to bring Ripley's Believe It or Not back up. You know, everybody who's familiar with those book series or books like that has probably seen the, you know, dog 
people or wolf people, you know, not to use a sort of derogatory term, but that's how they're described. People in certain countries like India who are born with a genetic variance where they grow hair all over their body, yeah, even on exactly. their face, you know, so it's really not that far-fetched to imagine that maybe in the distant past, a group of people, you know, with that genetic variance, you know, just kept breeding with each other. I mean, maybe that's an entirely different gene altogether, but, you know, there's one example. I, I think it's endlessly fascinating and, you know, so much of what has happened in the United States politically seems to be and to cover up a lot of these fascinating things that seem to have gone on in the ancient past here in North America, South America, the continent of Africa, throughout Southeast Asia, really any country that's been colonized seems to have a lot of these things going on. And you, you have to wonder if maybe that's an aspect of colonialism itself. And when, you know, one culture meets another and their sort of supernatural, paranormal, you know, worldviews collide, there's all sorts of things that occur there. But I'm wondering, you know, for yourself, when it comes to the paranormal in general, do you think that it has to do with something like ley lines or energy? You know, you, you talked before about this concept of, was it paroidal zones? Something from, the, you, you mentioned from the, the role-playing game. That, yeah, the riffs in the game I used to play. I yeah. think that's part of it. I think that there is a whole different world we which we just cannot see. And maybe it's something like what David Icke suggests, that we are just seeing an overlay, or maybe it's just our own evolution that has decided not to show us the full spectrum of this reality. But I do think that there's a, I don't know if I believe in coincidence anymore. I think that there is a purpose to a lot of this madness, and part of the game is for us to figure it out. And I, I think that there is uh, a secret world that we're not seeing and a good number of us just don't know how to tap into because we're so concerned with like paying bills and what the next election is going to look like and how are we going to get to work, how are we going to feed our families that we don't have time to spiritually consider our own health and our own well-being in the nature of this universe. We're locked in. The rulers of this reality has done a pretty good job of locking us in to the mundane day-to-day -day stuff so we avoid these bigger questions. Now, as for, like, the, the nature of, like, of, of Bigfoot, to, to kind of go back a little bit there, I saw David Paletta speak in January of 2020, and he busted up his talk into two sections. The first section, he, he spoke for three hours. The first hour and a half, he talked about Bigfoot. And then he talked about missing 411 in the second half. And he said, people should not make any correlation between the two subjects. He's just saying, this is what I'm talking about. And I agree with him. It's like, it's tough for people to do. People want to say, hey, during the missing 411 phenomenon, we want to know who's taking all these people. It's got to be Bigfoot. Well, I, I personally don't think that's the end all be all. But David Politis did talk about Bigfoot and what he has discovered. Now, I recorded him, unbeknownst to him, and I have some of this. So this is this goes back to DNA testing on Bigfoot. And I have two clips for you. First clip is about a minute about how David got the DNA. And and then, then we'll talk about the results of the DNA of this from Bigfoot DNA. So here's the first part. And the other thing we wanted to do 
is we have the funding, so we're, we're going to get DNA. And the thing we kept asking ourselves, why would all of these people in higher education who have access to grant money not do a grant to do a DNA study on Bigfoot? Because you hear about these people that are at these educational places that speak about Bigfoot, why aren't they writing a grant to do the study? I mean, we didn't understand it. So I went backwards in history and I found over 40 different tests that had been done on Bigfoot DNA in the previous years. Folks, listen carefully. Every one of those 40 came back as human. Every one of the 40 other tests came back as human. Now, you know what the people on the other side of the fence said? Well, they're all contaminated. That's why they're human. So if you know anything about DNA testing, before anything is tested, it's scrubbed clean to eliminate any possibility of contamination. And then this is the result of the DNA test. So we had nuclear and mitochondrial DNA, we sent it, and they said, well, the female side of your testing comes from the Middle East 12 to 15,000 years ago. Here's the kicker. The male side, they called us about it and said, in the history of GenBank, we have never had that DNA come through. There is no match. And so what David Place is insinuating there and what I think his contention is for the origin, what is Bigfoot? Bigfoot is half human, half ne- That this The stories that, that we've all read where this race of giants came down and started having sex with human women is true. And the results of the birth of that are the race of Bigfoot that now populate different continents. They all wow. look a little different. Some, some are big, some are like 12 feet tall, some are short like five to six feet tall. And they vary just as much as uh, us humans do, but half, half human, half Nephilim. So this is incredible. I was just having a conversation last night and a friend who runs a channel called old world Florida was talking about a bunch of connections between the, what we call the fertile crescent in archeology span and Mesoamerica And his claim is that the Fertile Crescent is not the Tigris and the Euphrates. The Fertile Crescent is actually the Gulf of Mexico. And anybody who looks at a map can see that, you know, that is much more a crescent shape than the Tigris and Euphrates. And there's so many other examples that maybe, you know, this place that we are in now, North America, was some sort of Atlantis. You have the mound building culture, all these mounds that were mysteriously, you know, left ground, right? Because many of them were unearthed to reveal pyramids, at least in Mexico and South America. Some claim that the ones that are below the earth here in North America have pyramids underneath them. But uh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating considering you have much more encounters with Bigfoot in North America seemingly than anywhere else. Yet, you know, we do have the Yeti and the, the what is it in, in Australia? The Yahweh. Uh, the Yahweh. I believe, Yowie, I believe yep. is what it's called there. And I think in, in Africa, Russia, and even a, uh, some parts of China, they have similar stories they, as well. They do. 
Like so, in, in, in Russia, they have Bigfoot, especially in certain areas of Siberia, like just monstrous Bigfoots. But they also have something over there called the Wood Goblin that they refer to it as. But that's a that could be a, a completely different thing. But people are like, hey, they see something out there. It's, oh, it's a Bigfoot. No, it's Wood Goblin. So, but every continent does does appear to have these would appear to be primates, but they could be much, much more. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. And, you know, considering what I just mentioned about the, you know, sort of theory that this is the Atlantis that was written about by Plato, North America. And there's a lot of researchers that have tried to show that, you know, certain figures from that time period of Shakespeare were writing, you know, Francis Bacon and so on. They had this idea that, okay, this place that we're in is the new Atlantis. And then, you know, subsequently the, you know, various groups are formed like the Smithsonian Institute who then go and cover up all this sort of evidence. Now you have a, a extreme popularity online, at least in the past five years with this subject, maybe not the exact subject of new atlantis but taria and the old world have you come across this subject much have you spent much time looking at it what are your thoughts on on people this? ask me about Tataria, and honestly <laughs> i have not taken the time to look at it it seems very dense mm. it seems like some secret knowledge and i am just not well versed in it at all it just it it, it, it fascinates me i just haven't had the time to look at it mm. now that's fine. I understand. I'm wondering when it comes to everything you are looking at, have you looked at the electric universe at all as a, a possible alternative that might explain some of what we see in the, the paranormal? Because, you know, this Newtonian materialistic perspective seems to not match up, which is what the skeptics often cite is, oh, well, you know, it doesn't fit physics but it seems like we're calling that into question now have you looked into like the electric universe theory at all yeah a little bit like uh, instead of gravity kind of holding everything together it's electromagnetism and electricity doing that and uh, i think it's very interesting unfortunately i'm not well versed enough in like the electric universe to really speak to it i only know what i've heard about the electric universe and what i listened to with with when art bell would talk about that kind of stuff or have a, have a guest on. But it is interesting to note that a lot of people that live a, around large amounts of electricity, whether you're, you're underneath power lines or you're, you're next, to, next to a power transformer, those people that live in that environment tend to have more paranormal, crazy things happen in their life than people who live away from it. So maybe it's the energized nature of the of the environment. Maybe it does something to our brains that opens something up. Maybe it's completely hallucinations, but there are a number of witnesses that have said they have seen UFOs tap into power lines, like almost as if they're, they're drawing electricity out of our own power lines here to, to fuel themselves. So maybe there's some correlation there, but yeah, there's just, I'm not as well versed in the electric universe to speak to that as the nature of our reality. Hmm. Well, yeah, and that's totally fine. I, I thought maybe bringing it up, we could draw some correlations with the UFO phenomenon, considering how, you know, a lot of the eyewitness accounts 
describe these crafts moving in ways that don't drive with what how you know scientists tell us the universe is set up you know it, it seems that these things are revealing to us so, something larger and i guess to m- make it an open-ended question for you like w- what do you think what you've learned about ufos imply you know on a deeper level about humanity and what it means to be human i mean outside of the physics and electric universe stuff like you know what what do you think the the more important sort of realization that these subjects bring is when it comes to like close contact ufo encounters i would say at the basement like a lot of people have near death experiences not the fact that they're dying when they come in close contact with the ufo but they see dead relatives. They have all the all the harm, hallmarks of a near-death experience when they get close to an active UFO, one that's powered up. What does that mean? Maybe I, I would say that that's a reality-bending machine that can go in and out of dimensions, specifically the dimension of death where we go when we die. Apparently, UFOs can just go dip in and out anytime they want as as a as a tunnel in our to in, into our reality. Now, as for the the bigger question about UFOs, Hal Putoff wrote a good paper, like a thirty seven page PDF about the nature of UFOs and how he's really leaning towards the theory of ultra terrestrials, that they're not creatures from a different universe or from a different solar system, like a couple of light years away. They may have been here all along and that that they're not dissimilar from us they may be interdimensional in nature and they occupy this reality and this earth as much as we do and it's just like their base may be at the bottom of the ocean and that they have continued to evolve with us over the many many thousands of years that humans have been here they have done so the same way just with far much more advanced technology and living somewhere different of miles below the surface of the ocean, possibly. And so he's taking that approach, thinking about them as ultra terrestrials, not extra, not, not from someplace else. They're, they're from right here. And they may be just as integrated into this place as we are. Yeah, that's fascinating. It definitely checks out with a lot of these sort of fringe theories of our history being manipulated by secret groups. I mean, to think that <laughs> they're not human and they're some other being is at least a little more comforting to think, you know, at least uh, we wouldn't do it to ourselves. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's quite a lot of information that we've covered here today. A lot, A lot to chew on, a lot to think about. Mike, I really appreciate you joining me here. Obviously, folks can find you on the Union of the Unwanted and your flagship show, Our Big Dumb Mouth, with your two co-hosts. And is there anything else you'd like to let the listeners know? Anything you'd like to plug or, or promote before we go here? Oh, no. If, if you guys choose to check out the show, it takes a few episodes to kind of kind of get into the groove of what we do. It's, it's like a wacky morning show with every topic that we've talked about here and a whole lot more. So it's, it's goofy, it's fun, and uh, we just try to make it sound as good as possible. 
It sounds great. I love it. I love the clips. I've contributed one or two of Sam uh, in the past. Thank you. Yes. And I I will try to do that more often. But yeah, it's been a, a real pleasure having you here. You clearly are an aggregator of a lot of strange, supernatural and paranormal subjects. So I appreciate you for that and for joining me here to uh, dispense some of that knowledge you've gained. Thank you, Mike. And for everybody listening, Thank you for being here and enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, big shout out to Midnight Mike for joining me here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I've been tuning into his show for a long time now, uh, ever since I first was introduced to him through Tinfoil Hat. I think that was before I started working with Sam and before the Union of the Unwanted was crafted. But uh, yeah, it's a great opportunity, great conversation with Mike. And I hope to have him back on the show soon. Big shout out to his podcast, Our Big Dumb Mouth. Be sure to go to ourbigdumbmouth.com and see what they have going on. It's a fun show. They cover what's in the news and they cover stuff that doesn't make it to your mainstream news source, right? They cover like UFO stories, Bigfoot updates, all kinds of stuff like that. So definitely put them in your weekly rotation if you haven't already. And shout out to all the new listeners who may be here just because Midnight Mike is on the show. Shout out to you. I hope you enjoy the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. You can get in touch with me on Instagram or Telegram. Uh, leave us a five-star rating or review. Uh, net nothing else just five stars please if you have four stars i really don't care send five stars or nothing else thank you so much to everyone who does that i appreciate all of you uh, if you'd like to check out our newest episodes they are available on rockfin and patreon we've got a new episode coming out on the podcast feed next week with phantom phil from Unexplained Incorporated and a really awesome presentation slash interview from Dr. Narco Longo of Old World Florida. So if you want those right now, go over to the Rockfin. They'll be on the Patreon very soon and support the show. Those are two really good ways to support the show. And I really appreciate everybody who's a part of the Patreon and Rockfin. Now we have a big announcement I'm going to be doing a New Haven tour, a strange tour of New Haven on the 17th of December. As long as it's not snowing, we will be there on the 17th of December. So there will be more information on that very soon. If you're in the local area and you're interested in participating, hit me up on Instagram or Telegram. The links to both of those are in the episode description wherever you listen to this show. Also, I have a new scene, Edition 2, that is available now for you to purchase with over 30 full photos of all the various stone structures that we have found, stone uh, anomalies is a better way to put it, and I think it's a great demonstration of what you may find if you use the tools that were shared in the scene edition one so anyone who's picked up scene edition one please go and pick up scene edition two and if you haven't already 
Get on board now before you're uh, late. We're going to be doing a new edition every season. So that was our fall edition, season uh, edition two. And there will be a new one for the winter. So uh, pick that up and support the show. That is available in the Kofi store. You can find that using my link tree, or you can find that in the episode description, as I described. Uh, also, we got to give a shout out to the Hit Kit, hitkit.us. They make a really cool product, very unique product. It was hard to describe at first, but I think everybody gets it now. It's a case that slides open. It holds whatever you like to smoke, a joint, a blunt, and it also holds your lighter. So it's perfect for me. I love it. I roll my stuff up, put them in there, take them on a hike, take them on a road trip, wherever we're going. I got my hit kit with me. So pick up a hit kit, maybe get one for your stoner family or stoner friend uh, for this Christmas, hitkit.us. And also, we have a new episode of Esoteric America coming very soon with guest Emily Moyer. So stay tuned for that. If you haven't already subscribed to the Esoteric America podcast, just look that up wherever you're listening to this podcast or go over to our YouTube channel. My Family Thinks I'm Crazy on YouTube and you can subscribe there. Make sure you hit the bell for the notifications. This Thursday, we will be premiering that episode of Esoteric America. So uh, thanks everybody for being here. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I look forward to hundreds more episodes here on the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast until next time enjoy the moment wherever you are in now Extra terrestrial, trying to stay human in a cesspool of professionals. But I confess too much off of the tongue. All my aunties and my uncles shield the ears of the young. I be saying shit and they don't know where it's coming from. In like a hundred years, we went saw a bomb before guns. Check the facts, check the Fed, check the stars. Stanley Mines was murked for a water fuel cell car. They each they own, you can stick with your old ways. But eat the rich and drink the motherfucking Kool Aid. And I can see the red on your lip stain. White skin, blue collar, pure American made. Fuck it. You can keep your blood soaked heritage And run the soul off the moon landed narrative Yeah, my girl thinks that I'm embarrassing My folks think I'm nuts but never question the parenting Stuck in bed so my boss thinks I'm lazy Connecting dots but it's all kinda hazy The morning in the net feeling like I'm Dick Tracy My pack thinks I'm un-American and shady I'm feeling unhinged lately Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily You could tell me that the president's an alien It wouldn't faze me My family thinks I'm crazy Think that I'm off in the deep end. One too many Netflix docs on the weekends. But check the budget for a military defense. Tell me we ain't scared of something not within reason. Steel beams, another 1492. And 9-11 was the red, white, and blue. And you be lit off the floor, riding ain't got a clue. All your dreams just shit on a Rockefeller shoes. Don't believe a damn thing a politician ever said. Ain't one brick left to go up in the Fed. They still got bricks of cocaine to make crap. Oxy's killing the working class, FDA's whack. 
Talking like this, got kin talking behind backs. Too much to unpack, so they talk smack. And I'm just trying to converse with my clan, but it ain't fan. So I'm here setting up can. Stuck in bed, so my boss thinks I'm lazy. Connecting dots, but it's all kinda hazy. I'm on the internet, feeling like I'm Dick Tracy. My pack thinks I'm on American and shady. Yeah, I'm feeling unhinged lately. Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily. You could tell me that the president's an alien, it wouldn't phase me. My family thinks I'm crazy.